Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. It is the vacation season, and Jorna is not with us this week. Uh, hopefully, Jorna will be back with us next week, but uh, it, is, it is the end of summer, and everyone does have a right to take a break every now and then. So, uh, Jorna, we hope you're enjoying yourself. Uh, but we do have Robert Craig, although Robert is also on vacation, but took the time to join us from Superior Robert, welcome. Hi, I'm in the Upper Peninsula in Ontonagon, Michigan, on Lake Superior, but glad to be able to call in. Well, it's it's good to have you, and of course, Robert is our executive director here at Citizen Action. We are going to dive right into the hot topic uh, here in Wisconsin, Foxconn, uh, to start the show. We will talk a little bit about uh, what's been going on nationally, and obviously uh, related to Charlottesville. Uh, and we'll talk, but we'll talk in depth about Foxconn also today, and we'll also mention some activities around Paul Ryan to close the show. So to start, we have a special guest this week. Uh, State Representative Amanda Stuck has joined us to talk about Foxconn, and we have mentioned on our previous shows that she was a leader on the committee that uh, had the the uh, hearing in the assembly on Foxconn. And so we wanted to have her on this morning to talk a little bit more about Foxconn. Representative Stuck, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. In, in this committee hearing, and, and let's remind folks, I believe this was on August 3rd, so it's already a couple weeks ago. Much has changed on this. We'll talk more about that. But in that committee hearing, um, you spoke really, really articulately about why you were concerned and likely to vote no on the Foxconn bill. Could you tell us a little bit more about why you're so strongly opposed, and then we'll dive a little bit more into what's been going on in the process. Sure. Well, I'll start by putting it this way. Um, you know, when news was first breaking about Foxconn and what was going to be coming down here at the state level, I was actually participating in a point-in-time count uh, that day, which is where we actually, um, all night long, volunteers go out and count people who are homeless in our community and identify people who are homeless in the community. And it just really struck me that whole night as we were going around identifying people who are homeless and, you know, finding people sleeping under bridges who are working in the community um, but just can't afford to live anywhere and are homeless out on the street, uh, just sort of struck me that here, you know, we can't seem to find the resources to help folks like that, but we could all of a sudden find $3 billion to give to this billion-dollar company. And so as it became clear that this was going to be coming through my committee, I really did some research talking to economists uh, in the area, talking to professors in the area about, you know, truly what, what is a good thing to do in these situations? Is there packages that do work, that economists agree do bring um, benefit to the state, or do they look at better ways to spend this kind of money? And it became clear across the board that economists agree that these packages really just don't bring the return on investment that states think they do or politicians a lot of time think they do. And so it just really struck me that this just isn't a good use of our money and there's much better things we can do to help our economy and help the people in the state. Clearly, uh, the opinion you're taking seems to be uh, the tide seems to be moving in the direction where a lot of the public now uh, is getting an opportunity to weigh in. And, and this bill is is actually uh, appears to be quite unpopular. I know we talked about a poll uh, the previous week uh, that talked about some of uh, how unpopular some of the environmental planks were and also this process, this rush process, which I believe you have described sometimes as almost 
like a hostage taking almost, right? Like in terms of the state. Talk more about that. Yeah, yeah, ransom is really ransom. Uh, the word I've been using. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, holding us for ransom. Um, yeah, I mean, just truly, as more and more details come out, truly when we had the hearing, we hadn't even had a full analysis yet by Fiscal Bureau, and it seemed to me that if you really want to have a good hearing, if you really want to have a good process to evaluate policy coming before the state, you certainly don't have a hearing without having all the facts, because how do you have a good hearing then? How do people who get to vote on this have a good sense of, is this a good thing? What are the details? What are the true costs? And as we have seen more and more studies and details come out, none of it points to anything that says this will bring any sort of return on investment. You have fiscal bureaus saying we don't even break even until 2042, 2043. You have um, you know, analysis done by Foxconn themselves showing that even with all their ancillary benefits, they provide less of a benefit to the state than what they're getting. Uh, and to be clear, they are getting a check from the state uh, because there's actually three different, at least, tax credits that essentially mean they have no tax liability in Wisconsin. This is a check from the state, not a reduction in tax liability, an actual check from the people of Wisconsin to this company. Uh, I want to just thank uh, Representative Stuck for being a leader on this. Um, and on that day when we had very little information, when there was a 10-hour hearing, and literally it was eight and a half hours before the public was allowed to testify with just panel after panel of uh, really bad testimony from people just falling over themselves to, uh, to support what Walker was so, Walker's saying and tout this as the deal of the century. Uh, and and Representative Stuck was asking the tough questions right away um, and really grilled a lot of the witnesses. So she did a great job, and we're proud that she's a member of our of the Citizen Action Northeast Wisconsin Organizing Cooperative as well, because we're building political power in the Northeast with progressive champions like Amanda. So I think she's the representative is doing a tremendous job. And, you know, I think about the hostage-taking metaphor. So, hey, Robert, it's uh, Ransom. I don't want to be misquoted. I misquoted her. So Ransom, still bad, very bad, very bad. Nobody wants to I'll, be held ransom. Right, either way, it works for me. <laughs> I'll talk about uh, the representative says Ransom. I was going to say the hostage-taking was the education panels in the hearing, that the UW system panel, that, which was especially egregious, and then the Technical College panel, they had those folks come up with the state budget still in play and therefore complete retaliation in the possible if they were to undermine what Governor Walker's big plan is for re-election, that is to announce this great Foxconn deal and claim credit for it without any actual performance down the road. And so it was I reminded me of hostage videos you see uh, from other parts of the world where they were forced to say, this is a wonderful opportunity for the UW system, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that really struck me, too, when you saw some of these people coming up. And, you know, quite frankly, when we look at the UW system and the tech colleges coming up, the truth is, is in future budgets to come up with this $200, $250 million a year to pay this company, if we don't have that money in the budget, that's coming from their budget, or it's coming from our transportation or our K-12 system. And so that's why it is really, really concerning, especially when some of the people that came to testify, when I would ask them, when they would say this is the greatest deal for Wisconsin, I would ask based on what, show me the facts, show me the data that says that, and they couldn't point to data. It was simply they just believed it would be. And the training for the workers, assuming there are a huge number of workers, is not in this proposal. So that either comes out of 
the height of someone, uh, either in, in initial spending or just tell the tech colleges to do it, right, even though we've cut the tech colleges, uh, just for example. But I think Representative Stuck is absolutely right. The, the case is incredibly bad for this, even if you buy the premise that the way to get economic prosperity and opportunity across state is to bribe multinational corporations. If you look at the number, what the average amount that states pay uh, for, for a corporation to pay a job versus this deal, we're paying six times more for the best-case scenario, which no one really thinks is going to happen. It could be 10. It could be 15 times more. That's number one. Number two, we're putting Governor Walker's Wisconsin Development Corporation, which negotiated this deal in secret, in charge of monitoring this. Uh, Governor Walker, in response to the press conference we had with our Western Wisconsin cooperative in Eau Claire this week, responded to the media that this is paper performance, not a dime goes out the door unless the jobs are created. Well, the Audit Bureau says that uh, Wisconsin Development Corporation is still unable to verify that the jobs they're paying companies to create are actually created. They don't even ask for the payroll data. And so that, so even on the terms of this deal, if you accept Walker's terms, this is a horrible deal because it's too much per job and because they don't have a credible mechanism to actually verify the jobs are being created. Yeah, and I will say on committee we actually tried to put forward an amendment putting that specifically in there that they would have to verify it based on the payroll, and that failed on party line vote to even have that basic accountability in there. Which is just amazing. It tells me people want to say that WEDEC is incompetent. I want to say that this is looking like a deliberate plan not to actually require companies to create the jobs they promise in, re in return for public money. Uh, you got to, at some point, since it's not that hard, right, to actually ask for the payroll data, that they don't want to do it. Yeah. I want to I want to bring up something. First of all, Representative, we're going to have to take a break. Would you be able to stick around for a second section on this? I'd like to talk a little bit more about next steps, but also some of the political implications. Yes, I'd be happy to stick around. Okay, great. We're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be right back on the other side with Representative Stuck to talk a little bit more about Foxconn. Welcome back. We are the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action Wisconsin. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. And we are talking Foxconn with Representative Amanda Stuck and uh, bef uh, before the break. And what I'd like to do here on the back end is talk a little bit more about the politics. Um, on August 3rd, when that hearing was held, uh, this was sort of perceived to be a slam dunk. It was even, I'm got an article in front of me where Representative Stuck is quoted as one of the rare sort of opponents uh, at the time, or at least questioning, that this was a slam dunk for Walker. It was accepted in the article that this was going to be good for his reelect. And in the last few weeks, this has really started to change. You've had a lot of Democrats come out, including one of the leading uh, gubernatorial candidates, Dana Wax, has come out against it. And even Todd Onstad, who er early on had a lot, uh, had a lot of uh, pressure, right, because it's in his district, has, you know, real reservations and has been opposed to this. So it's the, the political uh, environment's changing rapidly. And so the Senate, uh, since this is going to clearly probably fly through the Assembly today, unfortunately, but the Senate could be very interesting. But then also, we have a big election next year, and this is a huge opportunity 
for progressives and Democrats such as yourself to actually start to use this as an opportunity to talk about the kind of economy and agenda we ought to have if, uh, if uh, we could be in, in charge again. Could you talk more a little bit about this broader political dynamic and, and the opportunity it presents for, for, for progressives? Yeah. Well, I think certainly when it first came out, uh, you know, colleagues on both sides of the aisle were a little concerned, I think, about raising concerns because certainly the optics are that nobody wants to come out against jobs coming into the state, of course. I mean, we all want jobs here. Um, but again, as more and more data comes out and none of it points to anything good, it became clear that truly you just can't support this if you truly care about real economic development in Wisconsin. Um, so I do think that we've seen more people coming out again as more of that data came out about truly how bad this plan actually is. Um, so it is going through the assembly today. Um, of course, we do think we have possibly some opportunities in the Senate because we know um, that there have been comments made out of the Senate that they're going to send it to joint finance, that they aren't in a rush to get it through. Um, so I know specifically my office does have um, a petition going to give to some of the senators to let them know that people of Wisconsin do not want this. They want it slowed down um, at the very least if it has to pass at all, which they don't want either. Um, but uh, some other representatives I know have petitions through their office, so we're hoping to get the message across to the Senate that people do not want this deal as it is now. Um, so hopefully people will take the time now to be calling their senators and use the opportunity we may have to stop it in the Senate there. Um, so I would encourage people to do that. I know there's an event coming up in Appleton on Tuesday. Um, if you guys want to talk a bit more about that specifically, but it's 1130 to 1 at the Appleton Library where people can come and also voice and show their uh, concern and their stance against this. Yeah, we're going to be holding a, a news conference with Representative Stuck and potentially others. We had a very successful one in Eau Claire um, this week, and so we'll be doing one in Wausau as well the day before. But Tuesday in Appleton, please join us at noon at the Appleton Public Library. Um, and we are, my inside scouting from uh, some of Representative Stuck's colleagues is, is that, uh, quite frankly, Western Wisconsin, North Central, and Northeastern are the places where there are Republican state senators who literally would be voting for something that doesn't benefit their constituents in the least, but that their constituents have to pay for and, and could actually potentially block this in the state Senate. And so that's why we're, we're targeting where the three organizing cooperatives for citizen action are in those three regions of the state. Yeah, uh, yeah I do think there's opportunities there. Like you said, I mean, even though we're all paying for it, unfortunately, it really just benefits a certain part of the state. So it, I, mean, I think that's a strong point for people to make to their senators. Representative, if you could, could you comment a little bit more going forward, thinking about how Foxconn really is sparking this debate now about, like, how do we create jobs? How does the government play a role in helping us, you know, create opportunity? And the Republicans, certainly in, in supporting this, are definitely conceding that they believe there's a significant role for government in our economy. How do we start to have a, a conversation about how we could actually create an economy that has opportunity. And I mean, for us, we're talking a lot about how you could create healthcare jobs, you could create renewable energy jobs if you were to make these kinds of investments. 
Uh, do you see this as an opportunity where you think Democrats and others are going to start really potentially trying to put forward a, a, a counter agenda like this? Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. You know, and I have a husband who's a sheet metal journeyman, and so we certainly know, you know, it's been a rough year. He's been off work a lot, so we understand that jobs are a huge issue to people and that people are hurting right now in terms of finding good jobs, finding good paying jobs. And so it is something that we do need to pay attention to and really address here, but there's a lot better ways to do it, especially when you're talking about $3 billion. And, you know, and I do want to backtrack by saying you know, Wisconsin is a great place. And when I talked about the ransom thing, this is where I said we don't have to be held ransom. We can attract companies solely on what we have here because we do have a great workforce. We have great UW system and tech colleges here. So companies want to come here. In fact, some of the companies that testified in support of this, when I asked them what brought them here, because we didn't give them all $3 billion, oftentimes they said the UW system was the reason they were here. So there are a lot of other things we can do to bring jobs here and create good jobs that don't just pick up and leave to get the next tax incentive package. Um, so investing in our UW system, if we invested in our transportation system, we have a billion-dollar deficit there. If we filled that completely, that would do a lot to bring jobs here. If we were friendlier to renewable energy, we would have a lot of jobs coming here. We've had people come over from Minnesota and other places and say, hey, I would be growing jobs here in solar and other renewable resources if the state was friendlier. Um, also, if we had taken the Medicaid money, that would have brought in, they were estimating somewhere about 10,000 jobs. So there are a lot of other ways we can get jobs here. And again, jobs that pay well and would stay here and not just pick up and leave. I think the representative is absolutely right. And I talked about how this deal makes no sense, even if you buy Governor Walker's premises, that we basically need to beg big, shady, multinational corporations when this one is a terrible record uh, to place themselves in our state wherever they want to, and they name the terms that that's economic development. The research shows it's actually not. The most comprehensive research on uh, corporate subsidies shows that it has no impact. This is all data across states back to 1990, no impact on employment levels, wage levels, or the overall economy. There's no relationship. And there's not even a relationship between a, a state doing poorly economically and doing these. It's all political. That is, who cho who's in charge. Uh, that's what determines them. And they have no economic impact, but they cost us money, and they prevent us from investing in the things that build real economic strength, like our education system, our tech college system, and things like the renewable energy transformation we need to actually lead. And if you look at the metrics, the University of Massachusetts showed in a study that you get over 80,000 jobs if you invest $3 billion in education. So if we had free college and free technical college tuition and expanded our university system dramatically and our tech college system dramatically and improved and reduced uh, teacher ratios on our K-12 education, uh, then, um, then quite frankly, we create a lot more jobs than even the best estimates for Foxconn. And that's also true of investments in healthcare. And that's also true of investments in, uh, in renewable energy. And in energy efficiency investments actually pay for themselves in three years. You could, you could actually get the money back invested again and again and again. So if you look at what we could do with direct investment, we don't need to rely upon some big, big uh, shady corporation to come here. And we could benefit the whole state, and we could build economic strength for the future. And so I compared this in Eau Claire this week. Uh, to how we used to give uh, everything to the robber barons who ran the timber industry and the railroad industry and fighting Bob LaFollette, stop that. 
we need to, to prevent the latest boondoggle, the worst economic deal in Wisconsin history in terms of magnitude, and start actually investing the way our forefathers and foremothers did in a strong education system, the EW system, the tech uh, education system, and a new 21st on energy and uh, source of energy. Representative, you get the last word before we go today. Well, I think uh, the biggest thing I would like to leave anybody listening with is that you do have a voice and you should definitely use it and reach out to your assembly people and your representatives and let them know how you feel about this. We totally agree. We will have links also on our webpage to how you can uh, uh, reach out to your senator, your state rep, and strongly encourage you to do so. State Representative Stuck, we really thank you for your leadership and for joining us today and uh, look forward to seeing you next Tuesday at a media event to continue to raise uh, public awareness about this. Thank you. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action Wisconsin, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We really want to thank Representative Stuck for taking 22 minutes to talk with us deeper about Foxconn and, of course, for her leadership on that. And again, want to remind you, please reach out to your state legislators. Most of you, by the time you hear this, uh, it'll probably have passed the Assembly. The Senate is a top priority, so please uh, look at our contact info on our website. Please uh, reach out, call your senator. Uh, you should also talk to your state rep. Also, but we want to move on. There's so much going on in our world, so much going on, obviously, in our country this last week. And we want to talk a little bit briefly about Charlottesville. And um, obviously, Robert, I certainly want to give you an opportunity to express yourself. Uh, we're, we're about a week past the goings on. I don't think we have to go over the details. Our listeners are obviously extremely plugged in and, and, and tracking this. But Robert, you know, before I go any further, any, any overall thoughts or uh, that you wanted to convey to our listeners? Yeah, and I don't want to repeat what everyone has been saying, say, on cable news. Uh, everyone from all sides, uh, literally to the point where I think some of the cable news stations are going to need to find even crazier right-wing pundits because the ones they already have as regulars are also appalled by what President Trump has done. So I'll add some things that haven't been already said. Obviously, everyone is shocked by this and have a president who would, who would sympathize with uh, the KKK, white supremacists, and neo-Nazis is terrible uh, and awful and shocking, and we're all still processing it. Uh, so, But it's, an, it's, it's a shocking moment in American history. No one imagined we'd be here in the 21st century, especially with all the hope that after the civil rights movement that certain things were not going to happen in America anymore. Uh, but I just want to say two things that aren't being said enough, I think, that are important. Uh, one is that I actually think that this is the chickens coming home to roost, roost on the use of code racism and the dog whistle politics that has been very prevalent on the right and among conservative politicians, because when you are doing coded implicit racial appeals, you are keeping racism alive, and therefore it can bubble out in this sort of way an explicit old-style Jim Crow-style racism that we're seeing with both the, both the right-wing alt-right protesters in, uh, in Charlottesville and murderers, quite frankly, and defenders of murderers, because only one of them murdered people. Um, and then, and, and so I think the whole conservative movement does, and right-wing talk shows, etc., does share blame for this. And Charlie Sykes, 
who is not a reformed person, is just a charlatan who's adapted, the, the former right-wing talk show host in Milwaukee, did come on MSNBC and said, anyone who's listened to right-wing talk radio knows that there's an audience for this, and he's one who ran a show for over 20 years, so he should know, and that there, and it, it, it's much more prevalent among conservative population than any of us want to believe. This is Charlie Sykes saying that, and I call that reluctant testimony. I think he was willing to use COVID racism for years, and he bears responsibility for this, which he's not taken. So that's one thing. And so we need to start thinking about the use of race and actually breaking down all of the racism and structural racism in our society. And it won't be changing, quite frankly, until we can look at economic numbers, your, your income, your likelihood of success in American life, and not have race be a huge factor in that. And right now it's a, it's a huge dramatic factor where you're four times more likely to be poor if you're a kid, if you're African-American in Wisconsin, than if you're white. And if all those numbers change, this is still a society with deep racial problems that need to be addressed immediately. That's one. The second thing is there's this tendency to think because all of the pundits are against it, against this, including conservative pundits, and that a lot of conservative politicians have come out against, against this, what Trump is doing, that somehow there's this consensus and that this is going to go away. In fact, I think Charlie Sykes is right. There's an audience for this. It's why Trump's president. And the Trump saying this and sympathizing with the KKK, saying that if you take down a Robert E. Lee statue, that's the same thing as taking down a George Washington or a Thomas Jefferson monument, saying that builds an audience for this and, and leads to the possibility of a real explicitly racist Jim Crow-style uh, movement in this country. And so we should understand that Trump is very powerful, very influential, and this is dangerous. And the fact that all the elites are against it and corporate CEOs are resigning from uh, Trump's boards does not mean that this isn't dangerous and we could have a, an alt-right movement that wins elections and puts explicit Jim Crow racists in Congress, in the Senate. Because we already have a president who's, who's explicitly a sympathizer with the alt-right and with neo-Nazis and with the KKK and with white supremacy. So, Robert, I'm actually curious to get your thoughts on a discussion that's, I would say, going on uh, amongst progressives and, and more broadly. And, and this is this concept of, uh, you, see, you see the debate play out around the ACLU defending the right for these folks to go speak. You, you, you described them as alt-right. I think people now are... Uh, ready to move on to just calling them Nazis. Certainly these folks, Nazis, are fascists. Um, but this debate over them being able to occupy space like they do by having these rallies, doing what they do in America today um, as a way to organize, right? And, and the folks who actually stood up to them in Charlottesville, I, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce the name right, Antifa, right? The uh, anti-fascist, right? Anti-fascist right. groups, right? And their position really being like, look, you know, this is a failure of broader society in America that we have uh, structures both, you know, on the left and the right, I would say more the right being in charge right now that allows us to get to a point where they can take the street, be seen as allowed to gather, occupy space in many ways, to be seen as legitimate. Uh, and their position that they, they, we really shouldn't even tolerate this. This isn't really a speech question. This is, this is you know, fascism, Nazism, and they shouldn't be allowed to occupy space. Do you, uh, do you have any thoughts on that, I think, versus folks who have a much more sort of straight-lined ACLU kind of approach that they have a right to speak, they have a right to assemble, it's a core fundamental American value? 
I come down on the side uh, that it's a core fundamental American value, but it's a core fundamental American value to challenge it. In other words, it's speech, right, to say that we should, uh, we should have, we have a discussion about to what extent uh, speech should be suppressed. There's the old Oliver Wendell Holmes, the uh, Supreme Court Justice uh, standard, that you can't uh, uh, scream fire in a, clou- in a crowded theater, and that's because it kills people, right? So some speech can be limited, and we can talk about when speech becomes dangerous, uh, but I tend to think that the bad speech is good speech. And so we should absolutely let them do their thing, let march, um, and then let other people respond to that, including questioning whether they should be allowed to. I mean, right now we had deaths, uh, so we should be thinking about that a little. Are there precautions we can take that prevent, uh, you know, it, should someone, should we, I mean, obviously this, uh, I, I don't know what the situation was. I wasn't at the protest, obviously, but that someone had the ability to drive a car that close and drive it into people, that's something that could be addressed, for example. Um, and the when and where of it could be addressed in terms of the permitting process. Um, but I think that we do need to answer bad speech with good speech. Uh, but. We also need to think about a variety of approaches. So sometimes the right approach might not be to confront it, though we have, we can have a discussion about that. I remember when I was a kid in um, Chicago that the Nazis insisted on getting a permit to march in Skokie, and it was a big fight, and finally they decided that they had a right to a permit to march in Skokie. Skokie, Illinois, is a very heavily Jewish area, traditional Jewish area in the Chicago metro area. And what happened ultimately was is that they brilliantly, everyone just boycotted it and closed their windows, closed their shades. And so you had is like uh, 60 Nazis marching through the street and police and, and, and all sorts of cameras running around and no one there, quiet. You could hear a pin drop, uh, relatively speaking. And so we need to think about how shunning them and not protesting them might be the way to show that they have no support and there are very few of them. Well... That's interesting. I, I'm. It's pretty clear to me. I don't think that's going to be happening. Uh, that that as long as these folks uh, show up and organize the way they did, that there's going to, they're going to be met with uh, organized and militant resistance on the left. So I'm not sure that, that 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 that's likely to happen. But I do remember that story, Robert, and it's certainly uh, worth thinking about. But I do believe this is uh, going to be an important part of the discussion. I think you know, obviously, all of our listeners, I think for the most part, have a, a general a feeling about this uh, in terms of their outrage towards what's going on. And Robert, you brought up the Trump stuff. When you talk about the political implications, that's what's certainly on our podcast, certainly very interesting, where Trump, even as of today, is is defending the idea that we should have had these Confederate s- statues and, um, yeah. and, and the way the there is still great tepidness, if not like you know, opposition to actually really calling Trump out. I mean, Mike Gallagher here in Wisconsin is an exception in our in our congressional uh, delegation in terms of being, you know, very clear about uh, Trump. Everyone else uh, still is, you know, very wishy-washy. And, and to me, politically, that is what is so disturbing, which makes me believe that we're going to see a lot more of this, unfortunately, um, going forward. Well, I agree. And uh, I just want to say that we should be very careful about creating a precedent where government can decide what speech is allowed and is not, and is not, because that empowers a Trump to silence the left. And we should think of be thinking about the witch hunts 
um, after World War II in the late 40s and into the mid-1950s and McCarthyism, of course, which came from Wisconsin, U.S. Senator Joseph McCarthy, uh, which destroyed lives uh, for people who just believed in social justice. And so we should be very careful about any kind of idea that we're going to let the government decide who can speak and who can't. Right, and, and obviously that is going to be the discussion that I think a lot of folks would come down. I, they feel pretty confident the government could make the decision that Nazi speech is a speech they don't like. So, But, Robert, your point is very well taken. I do think there's going to be a, an interesting debate going on forward. So with that, we got to get out of here. we got to uh, take a break. On the other side, uh, Robert is going to be gone. Uh, we're going to have one of our organizers, Devette Baker, come in and talk a little bit more about... Uh, Charlottesville and how it impacted her personally. See you on the other side. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action Wisconsin. And you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Before the break, Robert and I were talking about uh, last week's events in uh, Charlottesville. And we mentioned that we were going to have a special guest after the break. And we have that special guest. It is Devette Baker. Devet is a new organizer here at Citizen Action Wisconsin. Devet, it's great to have you. Hello, Matt. Thank you for having me. Well, we're really thrilled you took the time to join us today. So, um, Devet, you are uh, brand new here, and you come from Disability Rights Wisconsin, if I'm correct, correct. before Citizen yes. Action. Mm -hmm. And uh, you are now heading up our program to that we're calling a decarceration campaign. Tell our listeners just a little bit about uh, about that briefly and a little more about yourself. Okay. Um, well, about me, um, born and raised in Milwaukee, MPS grad, went to UW-Whitewater, got my master's from Springfield in mental health, been sort of milling around Milwaukee in that role, working um, with children, adults, older adults. Um, I did a stint at one of the HMOs. And then that ended me up at Disability Rights Wisconsin. And I was an advocate for persons with disabilities who were receiving Medicaid from the state. I like cats and grilled cheeses. Cats and grilled cheese, we yeah. found out. Yes. yes, I'm a big fan of grilled cheese. I'm working on the love for cats, Devet. Um, so you are leading this decarceration campaign. So it's a national effort uh, that we're a part of to try to lower decarceration rates. Just maybe 30 seconds or a minute on sure. that. Basically, what we want to do is end mass incarceration. Um, and our focus here, specifically in Milwaukee County, is going to be working on decriminalizing mental illness. Um, so definitely something that um, I have cared about for a very long time um, as a person who struggles with mental illness and also who has worked with people with mental illness. And um, what I've found is that it's highly criminalized, um, not just here in Wisconsin, but across the country. So hopefully coming up with an idea that we can um, give to the masses to help keep people in the community that don't necessarily need to be uh, filtered through the criminal justice system. Well, we will have Devet on at another time to talk a lot more about that campaign, but uh, in future podcasts. So obviously if you're really interested in that, you can reach out to Devet at devet.baker at citizenactionwi.org. But Devet, we had you on today because you were obviously, uh, you were very struck like a lot of us by what went on this weekend and um, wanted to talk a little bit more about it. And so I, I just wanted to have you on just to, to, to talk to our listeners a little bit about what you were thinking and experiencing and, and, and what you'd like to share. Okay. Um, so um, I was at home, like most people on a Saturday, watching some TV, playing with my cats, and um, the show I was watching ended, and I had 
was watching CNN earlier and I began to watch the coverage of the protest and then saw this car barrel through. I gasped very loudly. It scared my cats, but I couldn't stop watching. One, because I felt, you know, the world needed to see this. This is, this is what is at stake, people's lives. And so I sort of just sat there and was thinking about how it relates to the work that we all do here at Citizen Action, but also specifically to my work because a lot of the people that I am here to support look like me. They're brown, they're black, they're immigrants. Um, they're people who don't have access to the um, appropriate housing or medical doctors or all the things that we talk about all the time. So I wanted to use my voice to have people see um, really what that feels like and how it will affect everyone if we don't get involved and if we don't help. And I just really was saddened by the discussion, um, 45, his comments, and then just watching commentators argue yeah. over calling out white supremacy. Right. Like what, <laughs> like right. why is that, why, do, why are we at a place where we can't call it out? And I can only attribute it, attribute it, excuse me, to our leadership, to who's, who's in the White House, who has control. And they are organizing and they, are, they have an object, objective. And how do we stop that? You, you, you mentioned uh, seeing the woman get run over and thinking about how she put her life on the line and... and, and and I know you had written something a, a bit about this, and you had talked about the idea that that we all need to be her, right? And right. realize that this isn't—it's not an abstract kind of discussion. This is this is real life, and life we death. all need to be willing to actually put our lives on the lines when we show up to an event, when we stand up against white supremacy and racism, yes. uh, which is a very profound thing. Uh, and I think a lot of people sort yeah. of had that so similar yeah. kind of feeling, right? Yeah, um, I, I struggled actually with putting it that way yeah. because I didn't, um, it was a conscious thing I did because for me, this is life or death. I am a black woman in America and every that's what people see. So if I speak out, that's a target on my back because I'm black and I'm a woman. So what my point really was to drive home is that no matter who we are, when we stand up for what is right and just, that puts a target on your back and you need to be ready for whatever happens with that target. And hopefully we can band together and figure out what that is. So one, we're safe. I'm not saying anyone should just go out there die, but it could happen. And I think about the people who came before me, who went to jail, who got dogs sicked on them, who got water thrown on them, who got maced, and all the horrible things that we see from the footage from the civil rights movement. And whether we want to agree or not on it, but that's on its way. It's going to happen again, and we got to be ready. 
Yeah, no, I, it's, uh, in fact, in the previous section, uh, Robert and I were talking about, it's very clear from listening to the Nazis uh, who gathered that their goal was to occupy space. Their goal was to physically be somewhere and show that we can be here and we're not afraid of you, right? And um, which is incredibly dangerous, right? Because a lot of people think somehow that we've moved past that. And the reality is these events actually have been occurring. Uh, Charlottesville isn't the first. There was incidents right. in, in uh, I think it was uh, o Oakland or, uh, no, uh, Berkeley. Berkeley, Berkeley yep. where uh, similar, similar types of things happened. It didn't get quite the press. But they are back. They're in full force. And we have an obligation to stand up to this. And that comes with risks, but risks that we have to be willing to take. Yes. And um, I'm certainly hoping that um, people will, once they get a chance to look at what I wrote, will reach out to me and we can start trying to figure out what this looks like because it's, it's unacceptable. We are stronger together and I truly believe that there are more people who believe in a just and fair society than the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists and whoever else they can bring into that fold that we control what happens, and we need to remember that. Yeah, no, no doubt. And obviously the link back to your work that you'll be doing here at Citizen Action around uh, trying to end ma mass incarceration and lower incarceration rates, the connect between that work and some of you know taking on white supremacy and the structures that have created the mass incarceration system will mm -hmm. require the same kind of courage yes, it's definitely to speak truth. To, to require people to push against white supremacy because if anyone knows better than me is that the prison system is currently um, our new caste system and we need to all band together to and what I say is the legalized slavery of today. Yep. So, Devette, um, if folks want to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, and, and in particular, who, 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 who would you like to hear from who, to, to maybe get involved and in, in help you with your campaign? Sure. Um, currently, um, I'm really looking for what I like to call directly affected people. So people who have been through the criminal justice system in Milwaukee County or even the state, mm -hmm. um, family members, um, children who feel comfortable, like um, if a mom has a child or a dad has a child that feels comfortable talking about their experience and their point of view, definitely looking for people who wanna share their experience. Um, and then once we get up and running, people who are ready to take action and um, as soon as I know what that looks like, I can share that. Um, but just really getting going and learning the lay of the land. And um, you can reach me at my Citizen Action email, which is devette.baker at citizenactionwi.org. Well, Devette, we uh, appreciate you. First of all, we're really glad you're here at Citizen Action. We think the program that you're trying to get started here is absolutely critical. Um, and so, and also, of course, thrilled that you took the time to come on the podcast and just share a little bit about what you're feeling and how it connects to the critical work up ahead that you're going to be doing and all of us need to be doing to, to fight white supremacy and racism. 
No, no problem. Anytime. Okay, great. Uh, and w- before we go, um, I do want to let our listeners know that next week, uh, our favorite, uh, Jorna's favorite congressman, Paul Ryan, is uh, having a phony town hall with CNN on Tuesday in uh, the Racine area, I believe, or is it, yeah, Racine, and there is going to be an event, a counter-protest, counter-event, and I believe there's even going to be a billboard down there uh, going after Ryan for not having any actual real town halls in his district, but that is uh, next Tuesday, I think around 5 o'clock, we'll have a link on our website, on our podcast, uh, for you to be able to uh, get more details on there, but if you got time, show up. Uh, let's keep the pressure on Paul Ryan. But with that, we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank our guest, Amanda Stuck, Representative Amanda Stuck, for joining us. And of course, also Debette Baker. And we want to thank Brian Wooldridge, our producer, who makes the podcast happen every week. With that, we will see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.